Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Sussman of I Pull Rank, and we are back for another season. It's 2024. The the year of AI is in the books, and yet we're probably just getting started. But today I am hyped. Someone who's been playing around with it, but you know, his his other side of his job, his other focus is really in the authentic humanity of marketing and business, talking to customers. I am joined today by Joel Kletke. Joel is the founder and president of Case Study Buddy. Now that's a specialized team. They they work with B2B brands like HubSpot, Loom, Extensive, scaling their customer stories and drive more ROI from each one. He's you know sought, a sought-after conversion copywriter. He happens to be, as you can see if you're watching the video, a bald Canadian and a tired dad trying to figure it all out. Like at the time of this recording, actually has a two-month-old uh, along with his two other kids in the house. Thank you so much for joining me today, Joel. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm tired. Um, three kids and now two driveways to shovel because I got wrangled into taking care of my next door neighbors. And it's like, you know, I know most people don't speak Celsius, but it's like minus 27 today. So it's it's good and cold. There's a lot of snow on the ground. I tried to have a social life yesterday, so I went to a Flames game. You know, that was not a mistake, but I'm paying for it now. So I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. I was gonna say like grass is greener in this case, like the snow is whiter. I mean, you 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 probably are sick of it up in Canada, and yet here I'm in I'm outside of uh, DC. They promised us some snow, and you know climate change and all that jazz. Everything's you know more temperate. We we just got some freezing rain, and my my little one is like, Dad, where's the snow? And I'm like, I'm so sorry, it's not coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're I mean we had like such a temperate lead up to this, we got kind of used to it, and now we're yeah. It's, it's come back with a vengeance. So thankfully we're Canadian. We've dealt with this before, you know, it's no panic, but uh, yeah, you know, snow shovels getting good use. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm excited to talk about this kind of intersect between um, case studies, customer stories, testimonials, and SEO, because I think it's very overlooked in the SEO industry. I think for the most part, a lot of uh, people consider customer stories as purely sales collateral, purely, you know, helping the business and doesn't play a role in the buyer's journey that people like will never actually find it. And I'm, I'm excited for you to kind of disprove that, that, that perspective, kind of start us off. Can you talk a little bit about how, how can B2B companies effectively integrate SEO strategies, like into that customer success story to like enhance their online visibility? Like what's the SEO role? Yeah, I think start from the perspective of what are these stories really about? They're about the questions that someone was asking, the solutions that they found, the journey through that solution, and ultimately to a result they're looking for. And inherent in all of that are all kinds of queries, long tail and otherwise, that someone might search that this type of content can help inform. You know, if you're speaking about a particular industry and someone's looking for someone who's earned results in that space, there may be long tail queries around that. Uh, if you're speaking to, you know, like even for your own brand's SEO, protecting your positioning for things like queries around reviews or around case studies or around, um, you know, pricing or these types of things, you have the chance to maybe creatively address some of those queries by strategically embedding those in the stories you tell, right? There, There's many ways to tell a customer success story. Some of those can be sort of the long form narrative pieces, you know, lots of meat there for a search engine to chew on. 
other times, you know, we have clients who publish both that type of story, sort of angling towards some queries or, or some intent, and then they'll go ahead and publish something from the same transcript that's more of a Q&A style blog post where the question is actually right in the piece. Uh, you know, you're working to make sure that those are different enough to, to not kind of cannibalize each other. But I think the realization that these are not just fluff pieces, these are not just lists of bullet points and nice quotes, that done well, you can be really intentional about what you target in a story, what questions you address in a story, um, and then use that, you know, get that story to rank and show up for some of these long tail queries. And now, instead of being immersed in a sales pitch, when someone clicks through, they're immersed in something that feels very organic and natural, which is a conversation that a real client of, of yours is having. So the nature of these things, you know, people don't realize it, but it lends itself really nicely to some of these SEO strategies that companies deploy. It's, and it's really interesting, like kind of being able to extract the most infer, like interesting and useful information when you're doing the interviews, like your team has kind of perfected that, that interview process. You're in essence journalists. How do you feel like about the jargon aspect of it? Like, do you try to avoid it or do you, from like an SEO perspective, be like, okay, let's, let's get that jargon into the conversation because it might actually help us. I mean, so much of this question comes down to how does your audience identify, right? There is some jargon that's meaningless and marketers are, you know, terrible for this where it has no meaning even to them. But then there are spaces like engineering, data engineering, data analysts, uh, developers, that kind of thing, where there's actually a lot of meaning and identity wrapped up in that jargon. They use that language because to not use that language would be a slight against their credentials, their expertise. You wouldn't belong in the space if you didn't communicate in that way. And so, you know, when you're thinking about, do we include this? Do we not? I think what it comes down to is, do your buyers actually talk that way? Is that the way that they communicate? Is that something they'll look for? A classic, not classic, but an example of this is when we're writing a landing page for ourselves, we're, we're trying to you know, make some inroads into AI solutions as potential clients. We love the space that's emerging. We see a ton of potential. Um, we're also trying to make inroads into cybersecurity. We see a ton of potential there. When we're writing a landing page for cybersecurity, for example, we need to have some abbreviations like, you know, capture the attention of the CISO and the, the, those types of things. Because when we can communicate that, their light bulb goes on and go, oh, they get it. They they talk like us, they know our space, they can serve us well. So jargon is actually really important. It has a really great role to play when you're speaking to or trying to communicate with an audience that holds it dear and uses it regularly. It's a way of kind of putting up the flag and saying like, we get you, we get this space, we can we can serve it well. So, you know, I, I think you wanna cut it when it's meaningless, uh, when it's your jargon and not your audience's jargon, but otherwise, as long as your reader, your buyer, your decision maker knows it, understands it, values it, it should stay. Do you, when you're having conversations with clients, do you, does SEO come up ever, or is their perspective really all about like the the sales collateral aspect of it? People put case studies in a box, uh, and it's like it's like a box that almost doesn't belong anywhere. It, it really varies, right? People like who's usually tasked with doing case studies? Well, it's, it's the marketing team, product marketing, customer marketing, mm -hmm. who uses case studies, the sales team. 
um, the marketing team as well. And so a lot of people, you know, the, the traditional viewpoint on these assets is, well, it's end of journey. It's an end of journey asset. You know, someone's on the finish line, you hand it to them, nudges them over the line. That's a really limited way of thinking about it because whether it's a written story or a video testimonial, for example, like we haven't even talked about doing SEO for video, like the, talk about low hanging fruit. If you can get your video testimonials ranking, or if you can adapt that content to a how-to type of video, I mean, the, the world's your oyster at this point, there's still so much untapped potential there. So I think, you know, a lot of people put case studies and customer stories, video testimonials in this tiny little box where it's like, well, this is something we do once in a while. It, no one really owns it. Um, we're, we're just going to kind of host it on the site. That's where it will live, or we'll give it to the sales team. We'll do whatever sales teams do with it. When the reality is like these, you know, I've worked in marketing long enough to know I've done SEO. That was my job for, for almost five years agency side. I've done copywriting. I've done ads. I've done email. I've done outreach. I've now, you know, producing these things. And the reality is done well, these stories fit across the entire kind of spectrum of your sales and marketing activity um, from demand gen and advertisements like we have clients who very successfully uh, run ads and remarketing ads to their stories instead of landing pages and it converts well for them your cold outreach uh, you know bringing stories and proof into that um, makes a big difference mining these interviews for positioning and your own copywriting your own messaging there's benefits there that trickle into everything else nurturing and, and getting people on board, retention, even upselling and cross-selling, right? Uh, if you have a client who's made a decision to go to a more premium tier, capture that story, tell it to people considering moving to that premium tier and you're throwing you know gasoline on the fire. So you know, if nothing else, I think one of the things we really try to work on is when someone comes in, they have this preconceived idea of where this thing fits and what it's meant to do and how it should look. We're trying to expand that mindset and get people to see like, no, it's not write a 1500 word piece, post it to your blog and move on with your life. It's create this whole kind of buffet of, of different pieces of content that will work for you across the entire sales and marketing spectrum. So there's a lot of education, I think, even now um, that we're still doing to even with seasoned marketers, because for so long, this has been you know, second rate or, you know, second consideration or just not really thought about. No, it, I mean, it, it speaks and obviously I'm coming at it saying like sales collateral, sales collateral. And yet, obviously, it's not just a checkbox. It's th there's a whole, to your point, there's a whole strategic approach to it. Can you speak a little to the video and the YouTube value? Like you you were saying, like there are different ways that you can surface that. How, how do you approach it? Yeah, again, I mean, for... For the SEOs listening, like it comes down to number one, you want to look at what kinds of queries around questions your customers are asking, um, you know, comparisons, um, X versus Y, like what types of queries are already triggering video results? And then how could we take a customer story and optimize it to fit there? Can we do that? natively with just a testimonial and, and, and optimizing that way? Should we be putting together a reel that has lots of different perspectives? Are we taking those stories and embedding them again in, in more of a how-to, something prescriptive, something more like a playbook? Um, but th there's so much value because that visual real estate in search results is still substantial. I mean, yeah, the top is clogged up with ads and so on and so forth. But when you have, and you know, map packs and all those things, they draw the eye. Um, and so being able to surface a video uh, in a landscape where otherwise all just well, blue link, blue link, blue link, or add, 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 
um, you can, you can gain an outsized amount of attention. Um, and you can, you know, communicate in a way that's immediately compelling. I can watch, I can listen, I can engage versus I can click through, I can read, I can navigate and, and so on. It kind of changes the dynamics. So it doesn't have to be one or the other, but having that be part of your intentional strategy, you know, how are we labeling this? How are we promoting this? How are we structuring this to try to answer the question that someone might ask and, and trigger the video? Um, you know, I, I think it's a smart strategy that not nearly enough people are using. It's it's interesting to me because now I'm thinking about like some of the conversations that you're having with clients on kickoffs. And I can imagine there's a lot of business information gathering, obviously, that you have to do. How often are SEOs involved in the conversation or does it typically get passed to them after the fact? Virtually never. Um, <laughs> you know, almost, I, I can't recall the last time we ever had an SEO on the call. Like SEO is, for these stories, it is a remote consideration if, if it's thought of at all. Um, and really, again, because people don't connect the dots. We, they put case studies in this bucket, this checkbox was like, get the customer story. Okay. And it's almost like just having these and having them live is the victory unto themselves. They don't think about distribution. They don't think about how someone actually going to find this. They don't think about, you know, what's the strategy for the storytelling. They don't think about conversion and, you know, how can we actually get people to take action? Like something that drives me bonkers is you can go to billion dollar brands, websites. They have case studies with no calls to action. There's no way to act on this very compelling, you know, stealthy sales pitch you just gave me. I can't do anything immediately other than like I'll go up to contact or whatever. Like what a whiff. You had the opportunity to make a very specific invitation to value and you just didn't do anything about it. So, you know, SEOs really aren't, it's not top of mind. It's for most people, they're not really part of the conversation. Um, and I think there's a reticence too, right? Like you also... I think done well, the SEO part almost, it can inform at the beginning and then it's built after. Like it should be in my mind, part of the strategy, but not the strategy. I don't think you should do case studies for SEO. I think you should bring an SEO perspective to your case studies, if that makes sense. Like you don't want, like SEO should not be the primary reason you're publishing these things, but that doesn't mean it's not a very compelling secondary or, or, or tertiary, you know, way of, of deriving value from them. That again, it's just not on the radar uh, for, for people. Like I do think SEO should have a voice in, Hey, you know, where is their search volume based on what, you know, we're, we're seeing in sales, the questions were being asked, like, how could we marry this up so that, okay, for every one person on a sales call asking this, the 500 people just Googling it, you know, can, can find something too. And 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 to that point, like if it's if it's not SEO, I, it almost makes it like we're stepping outside the SEO box. I'm curious, outside of a generalist marketer, who within a marketing department should own the case study? Is it a life cycle thing? Is it a generation thing? Is it is it sales? Like, what's been your experience? So it's a rowboat uh, is the best way of putting it. Marketing it. sits at the front, and they should be the ones kind of helping everyone move in unison because. In isolation, everything, if everyone's rowing their own direction, you, you're going to go circles, right? The trouble is when it, when marketing is just tasked with doing this and no one else is involved, well, sales doesn't get what they need. Like sales does not love, I can say definitively, 1500 word deep dive pieces that marketers are enthralled with. They, they don't necessarily love three minute long videos or five minute long videos. For their scenario, they need something high level, succinct, something really focused, something they can speak through. 
when marketing doesn't ever talk to sales about that, they don't produce that. So sales is forced to use assets that aren't really made for them, but could have been. So I think the ideal is kind of that rowboat mentality where it's like, okay, you do need someone to drive and oversee and project manage. And, and that can be marketing within marketing. It depends on the size of the company, right? If there's a product marketing function, it's usually them. Uh, if there's a customer marketing function, then they'll usurp, you know, product marketing, but that's newer. Like the average customer marketer has only been in their job for two years. It's a very fresh and, and new field. Um, and then beyond that, you know, part of the marketer's job is to engage with leadership. Where are we going? What are our priorities? Where are things headed? Engage with sales. You know, what objections are we seeing? Who are we being compared to? Where might the opportunities lie? Engage with, you know, customer success managers and, and these other teams to kind of unify on what are the stories we're telling? What are the formats we're telling them in? Where do they live? How do they get distributed? And more, most importantly, like what is everyone's role in that um, because the other side of it is marketing often doesn't have the same connection to the customer it might be a rep it might be a salesperson um, so if marketing again is left in isolation to like reach out try to make contact well this person's maybe never heard of you before their win rates are going to be low um, so yeah it's it's a team effort it's driven by the marketing team uh, most often product or customer um, but everyone has to row in the same direction or nothing's going to happen. I'd, I'd imagine that like more often than not, you, you craft these interview questions and you get this story from the customer and it probably goes in a completely different direction than expectations. How often does like the actual output, the deliverables, the, the insights from, you know, working with a client and, and talking to their customers, um, results in something completely different from the original plan and strategy? I think it's, it's honestly kind of both because for us, our approach is we want to go in with as much context as we can get. We want to know from our client's perspective, what is the story here? Like what's known? What metrics do we have? What do we know about how they came in? So we go in with, you know, an underlying understanding and a goal of, you know, this is the story we're looking for. These are the insights we're trying to service. Now, that being said, there is always room for surprise because you, when you start to talk to customers in this way, like, yes, we will more often than not capture the crux of the story we went looking for, but it's it's not a no, but it's a yes, and we, we discover that. And then in addition to that, all kinds of insights that maybe the team was blind to. We, because we come in as a third party, have the ability to ask like verboten questions. We can say, hey, when you were evaluating, like what was your decision criteria? Like what was on your must have list? Who else did you consider? Why didn't you go with them? And it's not a threatening situation. At this point, they've made their their choice. So they're like, oh yeah, we, we need, this was a must have and this was critical and that sort of thing. And so the insights that can come out of that, you know, the way your customers actually think and buy and talk about what you do and the value you bring that is often surprising and you will always it's why we never do a story without the customer's involvement like some companies especially seo agencies for some reason like can't we just like take the metrics out of analytics and write it up ourselves and like no number one you have very high odds of burning a bridge or pissing someone off or publishing something that nobody wants to read in the first place or watch in the first place um, but more importantly, like it's a customer success story. It's not a you success story. You're taking the most important perspective out 
of the equation. You're robbing yourself of the opportunity to learn all this stuff. Uh, and you're robbing your leads of the opportunity to hear from someone other than you. Like, congratulations, you got 500% lift. Nobody cares. They care about the customer's experience of that and, and, and their validation of that, right? So we will never do a story without interviewing the customer, um, which, you know, people go, well, it's so much harder. Like, yeah, it is. It is. Because doing things right is tough. Like, do you want it to be easy or do you want it to work? Um, and that's, you know... That's, I think, a tougher pill to swallow, but also that reticence comes from just not having a process, not having experience, um, blocking your own shots, thinking, well, they'll say no, or we're under NDA, so they'll never go for it. Like they do, they they often do. It, it just comes down to how you position, how you ask, how you conduct this thing. It's it's fascinating. And your experience is, it feels like it's such a... To, and we've been discussing it's such an underrated, important, valuable exercise, especially to do it with an expert and professional like you and your team, because, you know, you surface all sorts of additional insights that people don't understand. You got to get you got to get case studies and testimonials out of the box. Dude, this has been a really interesting conversation. I think you've already changed my perspective on a lighter note. And I think this is a really fun question, but I got to ask if you, Joel, could write a case study about any historical figure or event ever who or what would it be and why i'm struggling for his name it's like it's mostly would just be pure comedy but there's a guy like way back in the 17 or 1800s who just pulled like the greatest scam of all time like convinced like thousands of people to get on ships and go across the sea to a city that didn't exist um and i you know like not ethically necessary. I think it would be fascinating to look at like how he pulled that off and how he did that. And like, how do you mobilize action to, to that like scale? Like I, I learned about this from a book called um, truth, a total history of bullshit. I think it was in there. Um, <laughs> and like, yeah. So I, I think that would be really interesting. Um, mostly comedic to, to put together. Cause it, yeah, like, the art of persuading people to get on a boat and abandon their lives to go to a place they're not even like sure is there. Um, and like the stones it takes to do something like that, I think is just like a fascinating character study too. <laughs> I, it, it's just, I mean, that's just history in general is so fascinating when people make these like really like life risking decisions based on no information. I mean, we are, I don't think we're, we're, we're scared shitless these days, but it's like, you know, I don't think anyone would like, if they think the world was flat at the time would just go and sail in that direction and hope for the best and see what happens. And that's what, I mean, then again, at some point they'll offer people going to Mars and we'll see how many people actually like sign up to, for that space shuttle journey. <laughs> yeah. I won't be one of them. <laughs> that's <laughs> me for sure. Me neither. Um, okay. That being said, we are bringing back the rapid fire rankings. Are you ready to, to answer some SEO questions? I'm ready. Yeah. Okay, let's see what we're going to turn on the music, put some time on the clock. Here we go, Joel Klecki, Rapid Fire Rankings. Rank your best SEO marketing or marketing win. Yeah, I, I think like generally having multi-billion dollar companies come to you uh, instead of you having to approach them um, purely because of how specialized you are in a space like that's that's by far like I think the biggest win like to have 
social networks and multi-billion dollar cap companies and like platforms everybody buys stuff on show up in your inbox is yeah pretty special that's incredible rank rank your top three seo tools my opinion here is like completely worthless because i don't really do much <laughs> seo anymore so you know i gotta go like i gotta just kind of throw sort of what i know or hear about a lot so like ahrefs simrush and like screaming frog people seem to still really love so let's say those things if i was doing <laughs> seo i'd like maybe i feel like yeah. i should almost like like twist it to to like case study testimonies but i will still ask what is your uh rank your best seo trick or tactic yeah i think some we talked about right like at this time there's just so much low-hanging fruit in repurposing video testimonials and optimizing those for search like it's it's something that if you have the footage to do it doesn't take a ton of effort and it can yield some pretty decent results so yeah Okay, we were talking about this. Rank, what's the biggest scam in SEO that you've recently seen? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if it was like necessarily a scam, but that big controversy around that company who generated, you know, like they they analyzed their com their competitors' content, generated like a shitload, like thousands of articles of, of AI generated content, stole a bunch of you know the other company's traffic, and then it like ended poorly in spectacular fashion. Like I think what pissed people off there was more just the arrogance of like the way it was presented. But to me, what's fascinating is like, we already do that stuff. We just don't use AI to do it. Like whether people want to own up to it or not ripping off your competition, their links, their content, what's working for them. That's like a, a time tested, like badge of honor to be an SEO. Everyone worth their salt has done it. So it was the was the anger causing thing the mechanism was it that AI was involved in this is AI better than overseas writers you're paying less than a penny per word like is that ethically different um, or is it just faster and you don't like that I, I think people liked seeing you know the comeuppance there but to me I thought it was like a fascinating experiment like uh, to, unpopular but kudos to those guys for trying it and and now living with the outcome but. You know, I, I think if they hadn't been so cocky about the way they did it, it would have been a fascinating case study in, in using AI. Absolutely. I mean, speaking of which, check out uh, Joel wrote this excellent blog post all around the ways that different AI businesses can use case studies and customer success stories on their you know blog, on their website, make it visual, make it findable. Um, great piece there. Did you have a favorite uh, customer story that you found from your research on that piece? No, I mean, there's lots of really great examples um, and companies doing really interesting things. You like to see some of the scrappier kind of underdogs, like the things that Tome is doing, I think are really interesting. They're telling some more compelling stories. They're good examples of like disambiguating what the hell your thing can do for an audience, um, which which really matters for that emerging space. So Tome, if I had to rank them, but um, they're all they're all worth checking out. And there's a lot. Definitely, definitely check out that piece. We'll have a link in the description notes. Can you rank what you either used to love most about SEO or still do? <laughs> I think it's the thing I hated most, uh, which is just that it was always changing. Um, it, like it's frustrating to do really great work and then have that really great work just like vanish because someone else either did even better work or because what you know the the goalpost shifted on what constitutes really great work. Um, so yeah, I mean that it's dynamic and changing. There's always something to learn. I think I certainly like that more than like, you know, working a cash register. Um, but it's frustrating too. Gotcha. <laughs> rank. Um, well, you're not really learning as much. But if you, from your experience, rank your best learning SEO resource. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I honestly wouldn't know these days where to go. I think it's more just I, I try to stay on top of like what individuals are sharing um, and see what comes out of, you know, like I think conferences, people don't really go for the learning. But if you go to the right ones, smaller events, people who are actually like in the guts doing the work, not just evangelizing like their companies. I think that's probably where I find the most takeaways, especially when someone can present something practical. But like I... I yeah, I'm on the outside looking in on SEO. So, you know, I still pine for the days of like inbound.org. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's a throwback. Spe speaking of which though, you know, you're still going to try and find uh, Joel if you're going to MozCon this summer where he will be giving some practical, amazing, awesome advice, TBD on what that specific topic is. I'm not going to blow up any spots in this episode. Um, finally, probably, the, or not finally, but one of the most unfair questions that I do ask speaking of individuals is, Rank the top, you know, one to three SEOs or marketers that you most admire and look up to. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Um, and unfortunately, mine are all dudes. So, so I mean, I maybe could have thought through this list a little better. But uh, Sam Woods is, you know, doing some really interesting things. He's a copywriter. But more than that, he's a smart business head. He's doing some really interesting things with AI, um, you know. Uh, Andy Crestadina is someone I just really admire, mostly because of not even necessarily his knowledge though it's vast but he's just a connector he's like very good at being intentional with people making connections being very selfless and in return i think he reaps a lot on the back of that um but just like he's proof that nice guys can can finish first um john henry shirk you know like again he's like not explicitly just limited to seo these days but the way he thinks through a problem the way he builds a team the way he you know attacks a challenge um i'm always learning you know something from from him and, and the way that he comes at things like all of these people are both you know smart in their craft but then they're also really you know good people and and good business heads as well um beyond that like joanna weave on the copywriting front and um, you know, Stefan Georgie and, and, and people like that, certainly, you know, outside of SEO, but you know, I'd start there. Yeah. It's, it's not fair to limit it to, to a few <laughs> people. So I apologize there. Um, but we were, you know, in the, in the AI front, we've been doing a lot of generative AI sort of conversations over at iPoll rank. So I thought a new question that I've added to the rapid fire rankings, uh, last year was ridiculous. I got to ask you, what's your generative AI hot take? Yeah, I, I think my hot take is that it can actually be creative and create creative content. Like, I think there's this notion out there that like, well, it can only do what it's been trained to do and it can't go outside of those limitations. And so because of that, it can only regurgitate. And I think while there's certainly aspects of that that are true, I I will remember forever when my jaw dropped, I was playing around with Dolly through ChatGPT trying to come up with you know, an image and I don't know what mental path I was on, but I was like, well, I want, I want an image of like a super muscly sheep, just like holding a wolf by the neck. Um, you know, so prompted for that. And then it added on its own text that said, do you even lift like E W E like the sheep. And I was like, where did that come from? Like I didn't prompt for a slogan. I didn't ask for it to be a motivational poster. Um, but I was just shocked, you know, by, by that combination of ideas. Right. And we tend to think, you know, creativity is just like, 
in a vacuum it's like this spark of like something brand new when in reality creativity is just new iterations on old things so when you have generative ai that has this collection of all the old things especially with imagery but even within text i do think it can come up with novel creative ideas i do think you can create creative content with it and i think the people that don't want that to be true are the ones that have a vested stake in it not being true um the copywriting community the marketing community uh, especially like so yeah i mean that that's where i where i fall is like there's still a human aspect going into the machine and if you're creative it's creative if you're not creative then yeah you're gonna get garbage yeah yeah i i completely agree i mean you think about like you know the typewriter is not the best example that people use sometimes but i do think of like adobe photoshop you know it's like it's it's just another tool that allows you like i can't use adobe photoshop the same way an actual like really talented graphic designer can maybe with like years of practice but these tools sure they'll get easier the the biggest thing and this is where your your advantage will come in like future proofing yourself is communication right our ability to communicate the ideas that we want it to execute and if you can't communicate yeah it's gonna be shit yeah finally 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 rank your number one cause or charity that you want to promote i mean there's lots of these i think one that's top of mind um just with different things going on in my world not personally but with people that i know is the ronald mcdonald house um so it's you know it's a place where people who are you know have children in hospital can go and kind of be together as a family uh, especially if they're traveling for things like specialists or what have you it just brings like a sense of togetherness and normalcy and, and like uh in a time when it's probably needed most so that's a yeah that's one of a few that i think is doing something good doing something valuable um, and as a dad with three kids, you know, you hope you never wind up in a situation where you'd ever have to make use of it. But boy, am I glad that, you know, it's, it's there for those who do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a great cause. I, uh, definitely company I was at a while back had, we actually went and served food to like a lot of the folks who were there, there brought a lot of great food there and, and it's just good people. Um, appreciate that. Joel, this has been awesome. If people want to get in touch, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, I mean, if you want to see what case everybody is up to or just learn and, and get some DIY kind of tips, our blog is chock full of them. Uh, there's not a whole lot of sales pitching going on in there. I mean, we're always an option, but there's a ton of just go do this. Here's an example. Here's what to think about. So if you're working on your own customer stories, you'll find a ton of stuff there. Uh, for me personally, LinkedIn is one of the best places. I don't always respond quickly, but I do always respond. Um, so be patient, but, but I love to connect and, and chat and jam on there. And then I'm not as active these days, but I'm still on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now. Um, you know, I, yeah, but you know, LinkedIn is, is probably best. And then the case study buddy site is where you'll be able to learn a lot and, and apply a lot to. And in addition to case study related content that he posts on these social networks check out his little brand ai exercise that he's been doing uh with generative ai avatar versions of himself i'm not even i'm not even gonna say what it is i'm not even gonna let you say what it is I'm, people are just gonna have to go and find you and see these ridiculous images that you've been posting on the yeah, feed thank you good. so much for joining me i i really appreciate it man yeah thank you my name is Garrett Sussman. It's been another episode of Rankable for iPoll Rank, and we will catch you next week. Peace out. Uh -huh.